Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We're taking a look at the life of Jesus Christ, and this uh, series is an extension of the theme that we have for the year, Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It's a great verse. We love the verse. We love that we can be encouraged knowing that, you know what, we can learn and benefit from no matter what comes across our path. It may be some exciting thing that we're glad to have in our life. It may be some things that we would rather pass by, but we know that all things work together for good for this group of people, for us, Lord willing, if we love God and are called according to his purpose. Most importantly, though, knowing that all things work together for good if we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. God's goal is for us to be like Jesus Christ. Now, one day we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Jesus comes again, we will have our glorified body and we shall be like him. But we are not there yet. God is working on us in the process, and that's the goal. The goal is for us in our lives here to be more like Jesus Christ. So, if we're going to see what God wants us to be like, well, let's just take a look at what God recorded for us. If we're to be more like Christ, well, what was Christ like in the Gospels? We see this manifestation. We have Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, living here on earth. What did he do? What was he like? Well, today we're going to see how Jesus handled temptation, which is very important because all of us face temptation. You face temptation. I face temptation. We all face temptation. You might even be tempted right now in your mind, and, you, and nobody else knows it. You might be tempted and thinking about some event that happened to you or something that somebody said, and, and there's some bitterness or some unforgiveness and unkindness still there in your mind dwelling upon that. You know, I have no idea. Nobody else might know these things, but we have temptations that we face on a daily basis things that don't go our way, we're tempted to lust after certain things, and we need to know how to handle them and how to deal with them, because the Bible makes it clear in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. God has called for us to live holy lives. Amen? We are to be holy, like the Lord. Be holy, even at, or for I am holy. God wants us to live holy lives. It ought not to be a regular part of the Christian life that we give in to temptation. Now we know that we do have the flesh. We know that even like the Apostle Paul, the things that we would... We do not. The things that we would not, that do I. You know, we, we give in to temptation, we sin, we still have that sinful flesh, but it is not God's desire. We ought not to get used to giving in to temptation. We ought not to uh, have this pattern of just accepting, well, I, I gave in to temptation, but nobody's perfect, you know. Well, God desires for us to live holy lives. And what's interesting here, particularly as you see this passage, in verse number one, the Bible says that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, he was led of the Spirit, and then at the very end, after he faced temptation, after he 
denied every single temptation that Satan could think of for 40 days. At the end of it, the Bible says that Jesus returned. So Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted there, and then he returned. What happened when he returned? And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. See, we as Christians, I'm sure every one of us, desires to have power with God. Amen? I mean, we want that power. We need that power. I mean, just think about all of the things that you desire and pray for in your Christian life. Maybe you have somebody who's lost that needs to be saved, and you wish for that power to come so that they might hear and understand and the Holy Spirit to work so that they might be saved. We would love to have that kind of power. What about the power that is in a particular situation where you're trying to help somebody, encourage somebody, just help them grow in their Christian walk or to be able to battle? battle the, the, the temptations or to battle all of these things that might come into our hearts and into our lives. We want the power of God. We need the power of God. Every single one of us wants that. But here, it makes it pretty clear that the power of the Spirit came after this temptation and after he came out on the other side, of course, pure because he was God. And Jesus is our example because he faced temptation in every single way that you face temptation. Now, every single one of us faces temptation in different ways. You might be tempted to do something that is not really a temptation to me. You might have a stumbling block in your life that's not a stumbling block to somebody else. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I remember, you know, I was going to, uh, you know, the lab that I was a part of, and, you know, in the, in the middle section, there's this kind of, you know, atrium, and, and uh, you'd have these, you know, outside of the door, there's a little balcony, and you could look over into the central area. Every single Friday, there would be a, a kind of hangout for all of the grad students. They would all hang out there on Friday, and every single lab was in charge of, you know, one week providing the snacks or the food or whatever, things like that. And some of them would bring beer. Some of them would bring beer. They'd have a keg or whatever, and they'd have a tap and, and stuff like that, and they would be drinking the beer. And every single time, I knew whether they had beer or not, because the moment I stepped out of the lab, I could smell it, right? I could smell it. It was coming up through the whole atrium, and I could smell it. And just to be honest, some people are tempted by that, but for me, I was like, this smells disgusting, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't believe people want to drink this. Now, some people, when they smell that, they're like, oh, man, I know I shouldn't, but, man, I just really want to drink a beer, okay? Some people are like that. I am not. But what is not a temptation for me might be a temptation for you, and vice versa. You might have some things that are like, that's not really a problem. I'm not really tempted by money. I'm not really tempted by this or that. But it's a temptation to me or a temptation to you or a temptation to others. Jesus faced all these temptations. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So Jesus faced every temptation that you might have faced and will face, and he came out on the other side sinless. Amen? He came out on the other side sinless because he was God, and because, of course, we also needed a sacrifice for our sins. So if we are to be more like Christ, we must have victory over temptation. So let's take a look at how Jesus faced temptation here in Luke chapter number four. First of all, we see that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. 
And Jesus was filled with the Spirit. That's what it says in verse number one. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. So when it says returned from Jordan, this is when Jesus went to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. So that's in Luke chapter number three. He was baptized by John the Baptist. And so it says that he was full of the Holy Ghost. He returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So before Jesus even went into facing the temptation of the devil, he was full of the Holy Ghost. And being full of the Holy Ghost, he was led by the Holy Spirit of God, which tells us a lot. Because if we are going to face temptation, we must be prepared before we face the temptation. Amen? If we're going to have success, we must be prepared. We need to be prepared because God has described temptation as being like going into a battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we know about the armor of God. We know about the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. We know about the armor. And God says you have armor that is provided for you in order that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. In a couple, a couple verses later, the Bible says that uh, he describes the devil's wiles like fiery darts. So imagine going out into the battlefield and you have all of these archers dipping their arrows into fire and, and shooting them at you. Now imagine waking up and fiery arrows are coming into your camp. It's probably not a good time for you to try to figure out, how do I secure this breastplate? Hey, can you help me with this? As fiery darts are coming at you and you're trying to dodge them. It's probably not a good time. It's probably better if you have all of your equipment ready before you go into battle. Amen? Wouldn't that make sense? Imagine if you're, you know, a boxer getting into the ring and the other guy's got all of his, you know, gloves on and everything. He's ready to go, ready to punch you out. And you're just still trying to figure out, hold, hold, hold on a second. It's like, well, you know, the bell rang. Let's go. You know, this is probably not a good time. And a lot of Christians can get caught off guard because they're not prepared. If we're going to have success, we've got to be prepared. And Jesus was prepared for this great temptation because he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Ghost? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Well, I think that this verse actually describes to us really well what it means to be filled filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit with me. What does that mean? Well, in verse number one, it says Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So what does it mean? Being full of the Holy Ghost simply means God's in control. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. He leads me this way, I'm going that way. He leads me over here, I'm going to do this. He spurs me to do this, I'm, I'm going to obey. So that's the idea of the fullness of the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit, and if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, that simply means whatever the Spirit prompts in your life, that means that you're going to do it. If that means, you know what, I want you to hand that, uh, that invitation over to that guy over there. That that means, hey, you know what, hey, I, I know that, you know, I'm a total stranger, but, you know, I just, you know, wanted to leave this with you and invite you out to my church. If you get a chance, you can check us out, you can go to the website, maybe you want to live stream or something, but we'd love for you to, you know, come out to our church or, or something like that. You know, it, it might be something very simple, 
It might be something that might be very difficult for you. The Holy Spirit might prompt in your heart, you know, there's this problem between you and a, another brother or sister in Christ. You know, you need to get that resolved. You need to go over there and you need to repent of the sin that, you, you know, you committed a fault against them. And when they repent, you need to forgive them as well. You know, that, it might be something like that. But whatever the case might be, the filling of the Holy Spirit involves obedience to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So the idea is, who is in control? Who is in control? So who's in control of your life and who's in control of my life? That is what really determines the, prep or, or the filling of the Spirit. And we're going to be prepared to face temptation. We've got to be full of the Spirit before we go in. So that's where your practical daily living comes into play. When we talk about, you know, the Christian life is more than just showing up to church on Sunday. Now, I'm glad that all of you are here, amen? All, every single one of you, I'm so glad that you're here, right? That's wonderful. But there's more to the Christian life than that. There's more to the Christian life than showing up for church services. In many ways, the real Christian living begins when you go home or when you go to work or when you face your roommates or neighbors or people like that. Uh, uh, in a lot of ways, real Christian living happens when you go home and you've got to be full of the Holy Spirit when you go into those situations because you might face temptations there. You might face temptations at home. You might face temptations at work. You might face temptations when you're all by yourself. But we must be prepared in order to face the battle because you don't always get to choose when the battle comes. All right. It would be nice if we got to choose when we enter the battlefield. Sometimes you go to the battle. Sometimes the battle comes to you. Sometimes the problem comes to you. You weren't asking for trouble. You were just minding your own business. But suddenly there was a collision between somebody came in and was causing a problem or whatever. So the Bible makes it clear. Jesus, as he goes into this temptation, is prepared. And it's particularly important to notice this is right before he enters his public ministry. You know, we know Jesus, that he was here on earth about 30 years before he began to do his miracles and teachings and all of that. This temptation happened right before that moment. So right before he goes into the public ministry, Jesus goes through this temptation period, which I think is so indicative of what Satan wants to do. What Satan wants to do is to take you out before you get to the big moments in life, before you have that important decision, before you have those exciting moments in life. Satan would love nothing more than to take you out before you even have a chance to get there. And so that's why we must be prepared. Because, of course, we don't know what's coming down the road. We don't know what's going to come our way. And we don't know when the temptation will come. But being prepared means that we'll be prepared to have success. And that means being full of the Holy Spirit. So secondly, what we see, so first of all, we see the filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? So the filling of the Holy Spirit means who's in control? Daily living of just following the, uh, God's leading. The second thing that we see Jesus doing is Jesus fasted from sustenance. He fasted from food. So he didn't eat purposefully, specifically from his regular meals because of a spiritual decision. So in verse number two, it says, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, 
he afterward hungered. And then starting in verse number three, we see the temptations themselves. So fasting is something that we see regularly in the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And one of the questions is, why do we fast? What's the purpose of fasting, right? Because I love food, okay? We all love food, right? Not only that, it's not just that we love food. We actually need food, right? It's, it, we can't just stop eating and say, you know what, I'm just going to stop eating for the rest of my life. Y yeah, you'll stop eating for the rest of your life, but your rest of your life won't be that much longer, okay? So we need food. So if we need food and God gave us food and God designed us to have food, why would somebody say, I'm not going to eat food? Well, just taking a look at a couple of examples, I and mean, there's a lot in the Bible that we can take a look at, but I'm just going to take a few and say, okay, here's somebody in the Bible who fasted, and here's probably why. So the first one is in 2 Samuel chapter number 1. It happens there in verse number 12. It says, and they mourned, this is the nation of Israel, they mourned and wept and fasted until even. So they didn't eat any meals until sundown for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. So this is right after Saul has been killed, Jonathan has been killed, the nation's armies has been kind of decimated. And you can imagine that all of the people, they're in sadness and mourning. And in this moment, they began to fast. So sometimes people fast when great tragedies come into their life. When something bad happens in their life, they fast in mourning because of their mourning and their sadness. So we see that here's one group of people who fasted because they had just gone through a great tragedy. Another example, Esther chapter 4, verse number 16. says, go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So here's the situation. Esther, we won't go through the whole story, but Esther is the queen of the nation. And there is a law that has been signed that says, all right, on a particular day, everybody can go to all of the Jews in the nation. And if they want to take anything that they want or kill them or do whatever, then that's okay because these guys are the bad guys, okay? Now, the king didn't know and nobody knew that Esther herself, the queen of the nation, was Jewish. And so Mordecai, her uncle, goes to her and says, hey, you're a queen, do something about this situation. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? Well, what do you think you're supposed to do? You're the queen. Go talk to the king. You're the queen. You're married to him. Go talk to him. And she's like, but those aren't the rules. The rules are, now, this seems strange to me. The rules are, if I go in and I catch him at a bad moment and he doesn't offer the scepter of like, it's okay, you could come in and talk to me without an appointment, then I could be killed. Okay, that sounds very strange to me, but that was the custom. And so she's saying, you know what? If I do this, I'm going to die, or I could die. And Mordecai's saying, well, either way, you're going to die. So do something. And she's like, okay, all right, I'll do it. But let, can we all at least fast about this? Because this is serious. If I go in and I die, then that's kind of the end of our hopes for how do we solve this situation. She says, you take every, every single Jewish person that you know, tell them to fast for the next three days. And me and everybody in the palace, we're all going to fast for three days too. And then at the end of the three days, I'll go in and we'll see what happens. 
So here, Esther and all the Jews of Shushan, there in the capital, they fast because there's a huge decision that's going to be made, right? You ever make a big decision and you could feel the weight of that decision? You know, it begins to, you know, kind of press down on you and you know, you know, I have to make a decision by this date. Am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? What's going to happen? All of these things. Well, you can, you can imagine that that would be a type of situation where you might go into fasting because it's, it's a very serious decision you're about to make. Jesus himself made reference to fasting with prayer in Matthew chapter 17, verse number 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. So there was a man who had a demon-possessed child, and, and, and Jesus had gone off and had now just come back, and the disciples are trying to deal with this demon-possessed boy. They can't cast the demon out. Jesus comes and casts the demon out. Later, they're like, how come we couldn't cast the demon out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it? This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So often you'll see these two things linked together. Prayer and fasting. What is prayer? Prayer is simply asking, right? I'm asking God. That's prayer. And if it's a very serious request, it is often tied together with fasting. So if I have a great need in my life, then I might go into fasting, okay? So that's what might happen here. Another situation, going back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse number 6, one reason why people might uh, 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 fast is because they are repenting of sin. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. And said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So here is the nation coming together and fasting because they want to show, you know what? We have sinned against God. We ask for forgiveness and we're serious about it, right? You ever have somebody who kind of apologizes, but it's not really an apology and you're like, you really don't believe that. You're not really sorry about that. You know, you could kind of sense that. These people are like, no, we, we, we sinned. We know that we sinned. We're serious about, you know, we were wrong. And so they fasted. So there's a lot of different reasons in the Bible why people fasted. Maybe when they had a request to God, there's a great tragedy in their life, a big decision. But the point is that no matter all of these situations, People fasted in the Bible, and fasting was a sign that this person was taking it seriously, right? They were in mourning. I'm not just mourning. I'm really mourning. This is serious. I really am mourning and sad because I lost a loved one. That fasting was a sign while wow, he's really seriously mourning. Or if somebody was about to make a request and praying to God and, and, and asking God, I really need you to come through for me in this area, they would fast because they would say, you know what, this is a really serious thing in my life. I'm not just asking for a luxury or something that I would like to have. If I don't get this thing, I might die. And so they would fast. And so every time in the Bible, almost all of these examples that you'll see in the Bible they are a sign of, you know what, I'm serious about the situation. Now, getting back to this situation, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. And the Bible says that he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. 
You can imagine that the devil is coming up with every single sort of trick that he could possibly come up with. For 40 days, he's tempting Jesus. Jesus, being God, being the Son of God, but in the form of a man, being tempted by the devil, thought, I need to fast for these 40 days. What that tells us is that Jesus took temptation seriously. He took it seriously. He was, there's nothing else going on in his life. He was just there in the wilderness, just him being tempted by the devil. There's no public ministry, no public pressure, no, hey, you got to be here for this, you got to do these other things. There's nothing on the calendar. There's no expectations of Jesus. He's just there in the wilderness for 40 days. The only thing that he's doing is facing temptation. And in that time, he thought, I need to fast. And not just fast, but fast for all 40 days. I mean, if you fasted for 40 days, you're right on the brink of, you're, you're probably dying the next day. So why did Jesus take temptation so seriously? Because the culture that we live in doesn't take temptation seriously at all. You might know Christians that they flaunt temptation. They don't really care about temptation. They're openly posting things on social media about things that they do and places that they go and situations that they faced. Jesus took temptation seriously, though. And we see one of the reasons why, James chapter 1, verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This is a great passage that tells us why temptation is so serious. One of the reasons why temptation is so serious is because of where it starts. Verse number 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You know where temptation starts? It starts in here. You know where temptation starts for you? It starts in you. Now you can put yourself into the wilderness if you want, but even in the wilderness, there are temptations. There are temptations that you're going to face. You can isolate yourself from all the bad friends. You can isolate yourself from society. You can isolate yourself from social media. You can isolate yourself from TV and cable and, you know, all of the streaming, you know, subscriptions that you can get. You can isolate all of these things. But the one thing you can't isolate yourself from is you cannot isolate yourself from yourself. Okay, you can't separate you from you. Wherever you go, you are also there, okay? And the problem with that is you are your own biggest problem. <laughs> the where temptation starts is you. Now, it may not be helpful to have a negative influence in your life. It may not be helpful to be watching so much TV or Netflix or whatever. But even if you did isolate all of those things out of your life, and like Jesus went and lived in the wilderness for 40 days, you're still going to be tempted. Like if you suddenly, you know, were on a plane, crash landed, you're the only survivor on a, you know, deserted island, you're the only one there, did you know that you could still be tempted there by yourself with nobody else there? 
You can be tempted to be unthankful. How come this happened to me? Well, at least you survived. You're the only one that survived, you know? Or you could be like, oh, my friend told me this was going to be a great vacation, and so I bought this, you know? And we could be unthankful, ungrateful. We could be bitter. We could have, you know, all of these thoughts about all of these. Even if we're all by ourselves. And in fact, it is often when we are all by ourselves that we give in to temptation, don't we? So one of the reasons why temptation is so serious is because of where it starts. You can't isolate yourself from yourself. That's why temptation is so serious. You can never fully escape temptation. Now, there's a wise way to live and a foolish way to live, but ultimately, you can never uh, 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 separate yourself from yourself. That's why even when you have these uh, what we call great Christians, like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, for that which I do, I allow not. I'm doing things that I'm telling myself I'm not going to do that. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. How many of you have given in to temptation and the moment you do it, you're like, you regret it. And you know that was a terrible decision. Why did I do that? I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have said it. One of the reasons why temptation is so serious is because there's no taking a break from temptation because you're always with you. There's no timeouts. You can't tell the devil, time out. Can you give me a couple minutes here? He's like, nope. All right, I'm still going in. There's no halftime. There's no end of semesters. There's no retirement from temptation. The only escape from temptation is if you're saved, when you die, you get to go to heaven and you get a new glorified body. That's the great thing about heaven is you do get to separate yourself from yourself in a way, at least the fleshly nature that you have. When we die and we go to heaven, God will give us a new body with no fleshly temptation. Praise the Lord for that. So temptation is serious because of where it starts, but temptation is also serious because of what it brings. In verse number 15, uh, verse number 14, uh, uh, it says, uh, uh, when every man is tempted, he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted, okay? It's not a sin to be tempted. We know that because Jesus was sinless and Jesus was tempted, okay? So Jesus was tempted, but he was still sinless. So it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to recognize, you know what? This is something that I know is wrong and I'm being tempted to do it, okay? It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to that temptation. Now, the reason why temptation is so serious is because temptation leads to sin, all right? There's no other thing that temptation wants to do other than to bring sin into your life. That's the only job. The only job of temptation is to bring sin into your life. And the reason why that is so serious is because of where it ends. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There's a lot of areas in which things can die. First of all, we know that when we sin, ultimately, or at the beginning, we are separated from God. So when, when God said to Adam and Eve, in the day that thou sin, you know, eat the fruit thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, physically they didn't die, but spiritually they did. They were separated from God. So there's that kind of death. Ultimately, if you die in your sin, you will be forever separated from God in hell. That's a terrible thing. But even if you're saved, things can die. 
in your life, okay? For instance, your testimony might die, right? You might be trying to witness to a friend, and then they might see you do something or say something and be like, I knew it. I knew they were just playing the game. I knew that they were just putting up a front. See, this is who they really, really are. And sometimes that can be a hindrance to them to receiving the gospel, to say, you know what? Wow, this guy is genuine. Now, of course, we all know that we're perfect, and, but Satan would love nothing more than to destroy your testimony. So there's a lot of things that can die. But the point is this, is that temptation leads to lust, lust leads to sin, sin leads to death. That's where it ends. So putting all of these together then shows us we ought to treat temptation seriously, okay? Because you can never separate yourself from yourself. You, your fleshly nature is always with you and your fleshly nature wants to kill you, okay? Because temptation wants to bring sin, which brings death, okay? So if we're to spiritually picture ourselves in this way, I think it'll show us how serious it is. Imagine yourself being trained, uh, chained, rather, being chained to a wild wolf, okay? Imagine you shackled to a chain. On the other end of the chain is a wolf that's hungry, okay? Imagine how serious you would treat that situation. You would be like, I'm about to die. I'm not dead yet, but that thing over there wants to eat me, okay? You can imagine how serious you might treat that situation. Even if the wolf was sleeping, you wouldn't be like, oh, okay, it's all good now. You would still be super apprehensive about this wolf could wake up at any second and try to eat me, okay? So if we think about temptation that way, it'll help us understand uh, temptation is very serious because temptation is trying to kill you spiritually. It's trying to separate you from God. Now, if you're saved, of course, you can never sever that relationship. But of course, in daily living, if we have sin that separates us from God, that's what temptation wants to do. Temptation wants to separate from you, you from God. It wants to separate you from your testimony. It wants to separate you from the gospel. It wants to separate you from service and ministry. It wants to do all of these things. And if we understand that's what temptation wants to do, we would understand, wow, that's why Jesus fasted for 40 days when he was in the wilderness, being tempted of the devil every single day for those 40 days. Now, there's another problem with temptation. Another problem with temptation is Temptation looks good. Sin feels good, right? The Bible talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. It tastes really good. The problem is that sin puts fruit flavoring in its poison. You drink it and you're like, wow, that tastes really good. This, po this poison? Ah, I didn't know poison tasted so good. Wow, give me some more of that. Now, in the moment, it tastes really good. But a few moments later, you'll realize, oh, that was a mistake. Because that poison is ultimately going to kill you. And that's what temptation tries to do. It puts that wonderful, sweet flavoring. Sin looks fun. Getting out there, enjoying the pleasures of the world, doing what everybody gets to do. It looks fun. But the Bible makes it clear. Temptation wants to bring you death. And it doesn't matter if it tries to trick you deceive you. It doesn't care as long as it gets you to give in. So the third 
area or aspect that we see of Jesus handling temptation. So first of all, we saw that he was prepared. He was full of the Spirit, obeying the, Lord, uh, the, the, the Spirit's leading every single direction. The second area in which we see that Jesus handled temptation was he fasted, which was a sign. He took it seriously. He was very serious about it. For 40 days, he fasted. The third is that Jesus fought with Scripture. So Satan tempted Jesus for 40 days, and Jesus defended himself in these three examples with the Word of God. So if you're going to handle temptation, you've got to know the Bible. So the first temptation we see in verse number two, it says that Jesus fasted for 40 days, and afterward he was hungry. Of course he would be. Verse number three, and the devil said unto him, if thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of, uh, but by every word of God. So one of the things that you can know about temptation is that temptation will attack you where you are weak. Okay. Every one of us has weak points. Again, I mentioned earlier, some of you are prone to being tempted by this thing that might not be a temptation to somebody else. But the point is, every one of us has a weak point, and Satan's going to try every single point of your life in order to find your weak points. And he's going to find them. He's going to find them because we give in to them, right? We give in to these temptations in our weak points, and we commit these sins, and we commit them over and over and over again, okay? So Satan knows where they are, and he's going to keep attacking them. So what can we do then? We have a weak point. We can't separate ourselves from our flesh. Satan knows where our weak point is. So what do we do about it? Well, what Jesus did was he used the scripture. When he said, if thou be the son of God, command the stone to be made bread. Jesus responded that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So, practically speaking, what can we do about that, okay? You know yourself probably better than anybody else, right? You know where you are weak. You know the sins that you commit. You know all of these things. So, what can we do? Well, the Bible says here, Luke chapter 4, if you face temptation in a particular area, use the Word of God, okay? So, use the Word of God. If you're tempted to lust, use the Word of God in whatever area of temptation. If you're tempted to drink, look up drinking, if you're tempted to lust in your mind and physical, you know, giving into physical pleasures, you, you need to look that up. So practically speaking, you know, a couple uh, uh, months ago, I think I mentioned using an app called Olive Tree. You don't have to use the app, but uh, there's another tool that I think will be a great help to you in this area. It's called a topical index, okay? A topical index is basically, we, we live in a time and age in which we've had a lot of people do a lot of study and print books that are a great help and a resource to us. So what's a topical study? A topical study is, or index, or a book, a reference book, is basically somebody who said, ah, here's a bunch of verses that I found about drinking, and I have put them all together in this section. So if you want to find verses about drinking, what the Bible says about drinking, examples of drinking, consequences to drinking, you can look them up in this, in this reference book, okay? So one of the Bibles that I used for a long time, some people use it still today, you don't have to use this one, but I used uh, for a little while something that was called a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And what a Thompson Chain Reference Bible did was it had all of these things and they were referenced in the margin. 
So you would look up a verse, and if it was, for instance, here, if we were here in the book of Luke, it would say, ah, temptation. And then it would tell you a number, and then you could look up in the back all of the verses that deal with temptation. And so a great help for you is to pull up one of these books. So uh, there's a, a Naves topical, uh, I think it's called Index. That's a great book. There's other books available. You can even Google it. Uh, there's two websites uh, that, that you can use that are totally free. A lot of these references are available on there. One is called blueletterbible.org. That's a resource a lot of people use. Uh, another one is BibleStudyTools.com. So both of these you can look up. They have Bibles, they have commentaries, they have references, they have all sorts of materials. And you can look up some of these topical indexes and look up whatever it is that you're facing, that'll be a help to you. Get those verses, print them out, memorize them, post them up somewhere, that'll be a help to you. So one of the things that we could do is be familiar with our Bibles. If you're going to face temptation, be familiar with your Bible. Because temptation knows where you are weak, and Jesus defended himself with the word of God. Another temptation that the devil gave to Jesus was about, you know, kind of goals and desires, the things that are attractive to us in verse number five. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. So temptation knows what really lights up your eyes, what really gets you excited. Okay, so temptation and Satan are not opposed to giving you money or giving you a great career, giving you a great job and giving you the dream house and doing all of these things for you. Satan's not opposed to any of those things as long as it leads you away from the will of God. And so Satan will use all of those things. But Jesus responds again with the word of God. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So we ought to keep our eyes on, okay, the Bible tells us we ought to serve God. The third area that Satan used, or the third tactic, is he used deception. Verse number nine, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. So Satan here is actually quoting the Bible. He actually leaves out a section, and obviously the context is totally out of whack because that's not what God is saying. God's not saying, well, if you just recklessly throw yourself off of buildings, I'll save you, I'll catch you. That's not what he's saying at all. But Satan's trying to trick Jesus into doing that very thing, and he says in response, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So once again, Jesus uses scripture, and once again, we know that we need to be familiar with scripture. So if we're going to face temptation, we've got to know the Bible. That's one of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to have a daily regimen of reading the word of God. Get into the Bible regularly on a daily basis. It could be just a few verses. It could be just a passage here or there. But get into your Bible regularly. Even if you're just doing a Bible study of, you know what, I'm going to take a look at all of the verses that deal with temptation and just kind of read through them throughout the course of a week or something like that. That will be a help. So if we're going to be more like Jesus, we must know how to deal with temptation. How did Jesus deal with temptation? First of all, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Wherever God led him, God, uh, 
of course, he was God, but wherever the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit led him, he followed. So that's a part of what do we do every single day, tempted or not, we got to follow God because that's a part of our preparation process in the middle, middle of temptation. We got to understand how serious it is. And I'm not saying you got to fast for 40 days, okay? All right, don't fast for 40 days just because. <laughs> but if, if we're serious about uh, temptation, we're going to do some serious things. And then thirdly, what we see is that Jesus used the word of God. So if we use these three areas, then we'll understand, okay, this is how we can have some success against temptation.